were at Ferry House Racecourse to meet Nina Carberry. Now, she may very well have been born into horse racing royalty, but what she's done over her 17-year amateur career is nothing short of sensational for the next generation of female jockeys. Nina, we are sitting outside the Bobby Joe suite at Ferry House. Um, it seems apt, one of the great horses that one of your many talented family members um, rode to, to victory here at the National. Um, is this a second home for you? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, we were coming here since we were very young, having our little bets on and uh, the day that Bobby Joe ran in the Irish National and Paul Road and uh, my dad obviously trained him. It was probably a dream come true to see him passing the line and I suppose just the excitement and everything and I had my friends there and for us then to go into the parade ring after mm. was just, um, it was absolutely unbelievable. It was a great atmosphere and I think for a local horse to win, I think everyone was cheering him home and uh, it, was, uh, it was incredible. It's a, it's a very special place for me. We used to come here as well when we were in our pony camps and we'd stay for a week and we'd camp in the, the weigh room when, um, yeah, years ago. So it's, um, it's definitely a, a special part of my life, uh, Fairy House, and uh, a lot of good things happened here. When you think about horse racing, you think about dynasty families and you think about Carberries. <laughs> um, you probably think about Walsh's as well. <laughs> yeah. So what's it like growing up in a family where your dad's been very successful, your brothers have been very successful, and you're a wannabe jockey? Is it uh, help or a hindrance having a surname like that? I was definitely a help to me. Um, um, all our lives we had great ponies and just around horses all our lives. And sure, the experience of my dad and... I suppose my brothers Paul and, and Philip uh, before me helped me to be where I was in, as a jockey and um, I, it definitely wasn't a hindrance in a way and uh, there, was, there was a massive help for me starting off. When you are starting out, you know, you, you talked before about, you know, you, you were just competing, you never saw boys versus girls, men versus women. Was that truly the case? Because it, it feels so weird in competitive sport that men and women compete at the same level yeah. and that there's no no way there's people are looking at one sex versus the other. Yeah, I suppose I, I grew up with five brothers, so I'm used to male a male company and competing against males from a very young age and uh, yeah I think that I've a lot to thank my brothers for for that to keeping me very competitive from I think since I was about five, they were putting like little jumps up for me and they were jumping the bigger ones, but they were always keeping me in the race and uh, being able to be, let me compete as well, no matter what my age or my sex was, you know? Mm. So once I started off, I felt like I was just a jockey amongst the rest of the jockeys. Mm. I didn't feel like I was a, a little girl, you know, trying to make my way. I just felt I all I needed to do was get this, my skill set right and um, just like, get the experience I needed to, to show what I what I had basically. And it was never going to be anything else other than horses or horse racing was it? I kind of had in the back of my head I don't know whether I'll make it or not whether I'm good enough so I said I'd give it a go and I'd give it a go and uh, like I did um, a course for a year in sports massage and I said I'm going to go down that route if I don't make it as a jockey and then I had a winner in Cheltenham and that just took off <laughs> The course got kind of put to the side. I finished it, and uh, I actually looked back on my results. I was doing something there a couple of years back, and I was like, "Oh my god, I actually passed that!" I said, "I don't even remember." 
<laughs> so uh, I still have that qualification in the back. You haven't lent into it, no? no. But uh, it's still there if I ever need to, to go back at it. But uh, it's gas. Like, you don't, your head is just so focused into racing and what you're doing. You don't think of anything else. How has it shaped you as a person? Do you, do you see yourself now, when you look at yourself in the mirror, do you see a completely different person that you thought you were going to be as a teenager as you started making waves in, in horse racing? Yeah, it taught me a lot. You know, it taught me dedication and uh, how to be focused on a, on a very important time. You know, um, if things didn't go right, it taught me be resilient. And, you know, it's it's given me everything. It shaped me as everything, as my my... I suppose as I grow, grew older and went on to have kids, it's so nice to have all that experience behind me. And jockey, being a jockey is just such a short career, you know, and you have to think about what what you're going to do after. But like everything that I've learned being a jockey has helped me from from now to what I'm doing now. So it's um, it's I've got a lot to thank for that as well. I'm right in saying you were an amateur for 17 years. Yeah. But why was there not the opportunity or the thought to become professional and, and, and why the why the difference between the two? Why, why, why did you compete on an amateur basis while others are, are professional? Yeah, very good question. Um, there was a, f- a time when I had my first winner in Cheltenham that I, um, I had a, like a five pound claim. So you get like, as you're going more in riding winners, you get more, you, you lose your claim, so you um, don't become as appealing to trainers. So when I had like my five pound claim, I was kind of half thinking that I might turn. And um, but then I got a nice job as a, uh, an amateur jockey for Noel Mead, and he he gave me his job. So it kind of gave me the comfort that I will be able to ride in Cheltenham every year because they have um, amateur races there. And I was like, no, I can compete at that level now every year, and it'll. Um, that's where I wanted to be was riding in Cheltenham and this was definitely going to safeguard that if I could um, just stay amateur but at the time there probably was so many brilliant jockeys around like was like Ruby and Paul Tony McCoy Richard Johnson Barry Geraghty Davy Russell like there were so many all occupied big jobs and it was going to be very hard for me I felt at the time too to make a, a big bus for it so my my instinct was to stay as a, an amateur and be the top of the game at that. And um, I, I, I don't have any regrets that way, to Would be Would you go back, if you could go back and in time, if you could go back to that moment, would you back yourself and go, do you know what, I'm going to be a professional, I'm going to take them on, or are you happy with the path that no, you've taken? No, I think I'm happy. Obviously now things have changed a bit more, but no, I'm happy where I was at the time that I, I stayed amateur and uh, I rode the winners that I did. Obviously I'd love to have like, had a little go and see how it had gone on, but um, no, I think I'm happy enough, Brian, that I, I did stay amateur. I got the opportunities I, I got. I still be, was able to ride an Irish national winner and I'm still able to ride in the English national. It didn't stop me from riding in those big races. So for me, it was the right decision, I think. Give us a sense of what it's like to ride a winner on the big stage, National Cheltenham. What's that feeling? Oh, it's amazing. It's um it's especially Cheltenham, I think, because you get to to live it for so long. You come in this big walkway in front of all the crowd, and it's brilliant the way people clap you in. And like, even if you're not favourite, they all clap you in, and it's it's a great feeling. And 
it lasts for about five, ten minutes, and uh, that's probably the best place to ride a winner because you're living it for so long after it. Whereas in some other places, you're kind of finished. You go in off the track and you're kind of finished and you're gone. But this is like incredible. The crowds there, and uh, you come into this big amphitheater of a winning. Um, the winning enclosure and uh, yeah it's probably one of the best feelings ever because um, and it's probably better when you ride a favour because then everyone is there you know but uh, yeah no. But it doesn't last long because in many cases you're probably have another ride soon. Yeah so that's what I'm saying like at least in Chatham you get like 10 minutes um, when you're walking in but like it definitely doesn't last long because as soon as you're up on the next horse that race is over and done with like you know so you have to keep your head on the job and uh, yeah the next ride is you hope to win again but not easy. I suppose we have a likeness of sorts in that we both ended on quite the high, right? Yeah. I managed to win my final game, albeit I only lasted so eight minutes. Any <laughs> eight minutes of that final game. Less said about that, the better. But you won on your final race. Is that the best way to go out? Oh, yeah. Or do, do you look back and, and think, gosh, if I'm still, doing, I'm still riding winners, why am I packing it in? I, no, that was... Um, that horse was always going to win that day. I think when I went out, I said, this fella's winning. This is this, this it. And every jump, I was like, you're getting over us. I don't care. I was meeting everything. It was actually the weirdest feeling because, like I said, this nothing else is happening other than me winning. There's no one else going. <laughs> but, like, everything can happen. But in my head, I was like, this horse is winning. That's just it. Mm. And, um, yeah, I went out with that attitude. And the horse, thank God, he was with me. And, uh, yeah, for Enda Bulger, who'd been so good to me, and J.P. McManus, uh, all my riding career, and gave me the opportunities to ride in, in Cheltenham and probably gave me all, mo mostly all my winners in Cheltenham. And, yeah, a lot to thank for them for that. And, uh, yeah, it was incredible to ride my last winner for them. What's the first sense when you know you've ridden your last race? I was sad, I was. Um, obviously I was still capable and well able, you know, and uh, I knew it was time to move on and it's hard to let go, to be honest. It is hard to let go and uh, it's something that it's, it's, you're losing that adrenaline buzz mm. for the first time, you'll never have it again, you know, and uh, I think you can, allude to that as well like you just missed that um relief no um i was relieved that i was starting to move on and i i i was happy with my decision but obviously i was going to miss the the buzz of it all and um i suppose i know people say it's an, it's a hard life being a jockey but like for me it was probably the easiest because that's all I knew and I knew to 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 a T like I knew exactly what I was doing every day and I was just getting up I just had a routine you know and um, wear my rights and the next day but all that went when I retired and it had to back to the grind and kind of um, get a new career. I'm always intrigued talking to successful athletes sportsmen and women about that retirement particularly it happens in many cases in their 30s and in some cases maybe as footballers they're able to or forced not to have to work again yeah. but you need that purpose piece what about you how was how was that initial year or two of of retirement did you were you expecting it to be tricky were you expecting it to be seamless um, because everyone has different experiences with it i didn't know what to expect i was happy that i was retiring 
Um, I I probably wasn't set up enough in my own business that I wanted to buy and sell horses. I wasn't at a further stage. So that wasn't happening quick enough for me. And um, I think that year and a half after giving up, I was like, well, what am I after doing? And I had to like, and then COVID hit as well. So that didn't help either. Like when you want to get out there again and I was after having a baby and you know, so it's, um, yeah, it's definitely one of the hardest things you'll ever do is retire. And obviously at a young age, as you said, like you're, you're retired in your thirties, but you like, you still have another life to go. It's something that uh, it's very hard to explain, but I think missing that adrenaline buzz is probably the biggest, it's the biggest thing you'd miss. It must be nice to look back and reflect on a job really well done and being someone that trailblazed for women in your sport. I didn't do it my own. I obviously was very successful, um, but I had a lot of other jockeys around me, like Katie Walsh, Lisa O'Neill, Lizzie Kelly in England. They all played their part, and I think we all came at the right time to like give the likes of Rachel and and that to go and do whatever she could do. Do you know what I mean? She got the the break and she took it and she she didn't let it go and she took every opportunity she did and fair juice and I'm yeah I think it wasn't just me to be honest it was a lot of girls coming at the right time we were all playing our part. Ex-athletes and competitors often have a bit of envy of those that are still doing it with Rachel when you see that success I think it's only human to look and go, oh, gosh, I wish I could be there. I wish I could have come a little bit later or I could have, you know, be in those shoes. Do you possess any of that? No, I actually don't. Um, I gave my I gave my go and um, I had my go. I think the one race I really wanted to win from a very young age was the English Grand National. And uh, I had six goals at it. Uh, I did well. I didn't obviously win, but um, I had my go. I didn't not get a chance. So um, to look and see Rachel doing it, I was hoping that a girl would do it in my lifetime. So I was delighted to be roaring her own. Listen, I was retired. So I want a girl to be going on win. Obviously, it's probably different when you're riding in amongst it and you want to be a part of it. but. Once you retire, that's finished. And um, you really want to see the girls doing well. And for Rachel, that was amazing to watch. And um, yeah, brilliant. Unfortunately, one of the most intriguing aspects of talking to jockeys or ex-jockeys is about the injury list. Yeah. You. There's no walking with limps or anything. So are, have, you have you come out relatively unscathed? Not too bad. I have a few broken collarbones, a plate in, in that collarbone. Um, I broke my kneecap, which is, yeah, which is... Um, That's a bad one. Yeah, and it's kind of, I'd say, I'm starting to catch up on me now with cartilage and stuff. So I have yeah. to keep an eye on that. But um, I was lucky enough I didn't break legs or arms, thank God. Um, I got out of it unscathed that way. A few ribs, and that was it. But the ribs are probably the hardest. You probably I've know. I've never done a rib. Have you not? I believe they're... So sore, yeah. And a rib cartilage or an actual rib? Both. The, the rib cartilage yeah. is meant to be one of the most painful yeah. ones you can do. Sore, yeah. So, but um, lucky enough, not too bad. I had the really embarrassing situation about three months after I retired. I was then 
swimming with my daughter in the gym and I was squashing her in the shower down in my hunger, squashing her like this and my cartilage jammed on me and I couldn't, like, she was right down at my leg and popped it and so nothing more embarrassing no. than walking, going into a gym and the whole of your health and walking out, hopping out with a small four-year-old by your hand, yeah. So I rang the surgeon who'd done my cartilage previously, I said, I've done my cartilage again. And he goes, yeah, God, right, come on, in you come. And I said, hey, he's how'd you do it this time? So I was washing my daughter in the shower after swimming. But I'm, I'm interested to understand, obviously it's very topical at the moment in rugby and concussions. Mm. Are they kind of prevalent in, in your sport? Yeah, I was quite naive when I was younger. I get a bang to the head and then get a bit confused. Wouldn't realize it was concussion. And I think now looking back, I said, I actually probably got way more concussions than I actually thought I did. I probably got knocked out once. And uh, yeah, definitely it's come, I'm, I'm delighted it's come a lot more like, um, I think there's a lot more for jockeys now to realise that they have had a concussion, but definitely I've had I had a good few when I didn't know I had. So. And what happens with jockeys now when when it's when a concussion is diagnosed? So there's a base test now that's done, obviously when you're in good health and everything. So uh, obviously if you don't pass that, you don't get back riding, but you have every chance to pass it if if you're okay, you know what I mean? So as long as you can pass the test, then you're, you're okay. I think something similar in rugby mm, as well. Yeah, it's so the HIA, yeah, yeah. So you've got 10 minutes to, to, cover, to, to clear yeah. this test. So you have to do and by it. all accounts, it's quite a difficult test to, to actual, actually pass. I think I struggled to pass my one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, um, it's obviously tricky things to do, but um, it's, it's something that's necessary because I think you do it like three days after you've had your concussion and um, you see how you're assessed and uh, you can go back riding I think if you pass it but it's something that's definitely it's a necessity for for the game you don't want to see young people getting falls like that and getting concussion so they're trying everything to to stop it happening and gum shields are coming in as well so I, think they, that, yeah. that, I think that helps a lot as well You had so many winners over the course of your career. What's the connect with the successful ones that's different than the, than those that you know offered a lot but didn't deliver? There is certain horses become more, yeah, like being having more relationship with them because a lot of the times jockeys are getting on and off horses and never sit on them again. But the ones that you you build up a relationship, uh, I had great relationships with the likes of Garda Champetra and On the Fringe and. Josie's orders, all those horses um, were horses that I'd ride from year to year and uh, you definitely know their traits and things they like or things they didn't like or, you know, so yeah, it's it's important that a jockey kind of knows the horse they're riding and like the likes of Ruby riding Kato Star. Yeah, like building up those relationships is, it's important and they're, you get to know what way they have to be ridden. They don't hit the front too soon, or if they hit the front too soon, they'll pull up. And yeah, there's all those little things um, that you learn along the way that if another jockey jumped on, they wouldn't know, you know what I mean? Mm. It's a unique kind of thing that in jockeys that you're expected just to jump up on a horse and know exactly how to ride them, but your, your trainer needs to tell you how to ride them if you've never ridden them before. So it's... Um, What's this? <laughs> That's a little handshake, That's, I think. Yeah. <laughs> They're having a little it's handshake. A different sort of relationship. <laughs> <laughs> They're having a little scratch. 
I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> But brilliant, Nina, thank you so much thank for you. your time. Thanks for chatting to us. You should be very proud to look back at all that you've achieved. Oh, thank and you, And what Brian. you will achieve Hopefully. in the future, too. Yeah, better luck, yeah. Keep the, keep the, the ball rolling. And uh, thanks very much. I'm honoured to be interviewed by you. Thanks a million. <laughs> thank you.